brothers and sisters, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, he tells us that there's a time of trouble coming such as... Even today, yes, we know about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilences, all these things that tells us in Matthew 24, the end is not yet, but when this gospel message is preached unto the whole world, then the end will come. But that these things are preliminary things that lead up to that. And if we are not prepared for what is coming as an overwhelming surprise, I guarantee you, if you're not prepared, you will not make it. What do we need to do to be prepared? She says, for those to receive the seal of the living God and are protected in the time of trouble must reflect the image of Jesus fully. Well, what does this have to do with the commandments of God? Well, before I read some of these other things, I thought we might take a look at some of these commandments. And we're going to start off with, in Exodus, just prior to the commandments, I want to read something to you. In Exodus chapter 20, but I'm going to read starting in 19 to share with you something to help you get a feeling for what is coming. You know, the people of Israel, because of their sinfulness, was forbidden to approach the mountain when God was about to descend upon it to proclaim his law. And if you go over here in chapter 19, verse 17, and it says, Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the, at the nether part of the mountain, at the kind of a way there at the bottom part of it. And Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke, on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in a fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. It's describing fire, smoke, quaking. I mean, this mountain is shaking, the ground around and they're standing upon is shaking, and it's shaking with a terrible fierceness. And it says... And when the trumpet sounded, when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Now, he has been telling Moses, Moses has been telling the people that you need to be prepared for the Lord coming down because you need to sanctify, especially the priests, to sanctify yourself, to be a holy. Does it not tell us in Revelation 5 that we are to be priests and kings in God's kingdom. And if we are not sanctified as kings and priests in God's kingdom now, when the Lord comes to shake this world 
And it's not just going to be one mountain. It's going to be the whole world is going to be on fire, shaking and smoke and such a turmoil as you've never seen or never felt. And if you're not prepared for that, you will perish. Because she says, if such manifestations of his power mark the place chosen for the proclamation of God's law, how terrible must be his tribunal when he comes for the execution of these sacred statues? How will those who have trampled upon his authority endure his glory in the great day of final retribution? In other words, if you are trampling upon the laws of God, this retribution is going to be on your heads. God is jealous for his holy law. It is a righteous holy law because it is the very not only foundation of God's throne, it reveals God's character, who he is. And one of the things that really angers and hurts God is for people to spit upon his son who died to save them, who died to pay the penalty for you and I for trampling upon these holy precepts. When the divine presence was manifest upon Sinai, the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire but when Christ shall come in glory with his holy angels, the whole earth shall be ablaze with the terrible light of his presence. Are you ready to endure that? Are you going to be amongst those people who will cry for the mountains to hide them from the face of him coming because the glory and the brightness of Christ coming? Or will it be a joy to you because your Lord is coming? Will your heart be rejoicing or will it be afraid? Will you be rejoicing because he whom you love so dearly that you would give your life rather than trample upon the law of God? Folks, if we love Jesus, if we love God more than anything else, it will be a delight to us. Never since man was created had there been witnessed such a manifestation of divine power as when the law was proclaimed from Sinai. Amid the most terrific convulsions of nature, the voice of God, like a trumpet, was heard from the cloud. The mountain was shaken from base to summit, and the host of Israel, pale and trembling with terror, lay upon their faces upon the earth, he whose voice then shook the earth has declared, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. When Jesus comes, not only will the earth be shaken, but all the heavens will be shaking. When the Lord comes this time, he says, Behold, I come again. When Moses came from the divine presence in the mountain where he had received the tables of testimony, guilty Israel could not endure the light that glorified his countenance. This is Moses coming down from the mountain, and his face shined so brightly they could not look upon him. He had to cover his head with the sack 
because he had been in the presence of God for all that time. So, how much less can transgressors look upon the Son of God when he shall appear in the glory of his Father, surrounded by all the heavenly hosts, to execute judgment upon the transgressors of his law and the rejecters of his atonement? Not only will the brightness and glory of Jesus be coming, but all the brightness and the glory of all the angels and all the beings of heaven that will be coming with him, light like we've never seen, but so the sun cannot compare to the brightness of Jesus' coming. But amid the tempest of divine judgment, the children of God will have no cause to fear. The Lord will be the hope of his people, the strength of the children of Israel, The day that brings terror and destruction to the transgressors of God's law will bring to the obedient joy unspeakable and full of glory. Brothers and sisters, what we have waiting for us, what is coming for us is going to be the climax, in a sense, of all that we have gone through, all that we have suffered and are suffering and will have to deal with in preparation, being prepared through that refiner's fire, which we must go through, to get rid of the dross to help us truly be prepared for Jesus' coming and the joy in our hearts. Now I want to go to chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I have broken those chains that have held you by sin. I have broken the chains of sin. I've broken those chains that hold you in bondage. You are no longer in bondage to sin. God says, I've provided a way out for you. Then we know who that way out is through Jesus. But now he goes on to describe what he wants us to understand about the holy precepts. Verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And keeping your fingers there, let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. And keep, because we're going to keep coming back to Matthew. I want to look at Matthew 4. Verse 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Folks, what is it that Satan wants you to do? He wants you to worship him, does he not? There is two gods, the God of this world or the God of heaven. Satan is called the prince of this world. And he's doing everything he can to destroy you. Like a roaring lion, lion he seeks whom he may devour. Let's go back to Exodus 20. And there's other verses too. I'm just going to take you through a few today because of constraints of time. Now I want us to read... uh, Verse 4 through 6. 
Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children on the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. And do what? Keep my commandments. Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, keep my commandments. Obey me. If you love me. He's not making it keep my commandments and then you'll love me. You love me and then you will be able to keep the commandments. Alright. John fourteen fifteen. Mark Luke John fourteen fifteen. Which is the one I just told you. <laughs> if you love me, keep my commandments. Alright, now let's go to Exodus 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And we want to look at 1 Timothy 6, 1. 1 Timothy 6, 1. Just after Thessalonians, or Hebrews. Okay, six one. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of the honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Now we know a couple times Jesus was accused of blasphemy. One, for forgiving a man his sins. But it wasn't blasphemy because it was God. Only God can forgive our sins. And the other time is because he claimed to be God. They said, oh, that's blasphemy. So, what are some of the other ways that we can take the name of the Lord in vain? Or blasphemy, God. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's, there's other ways. Just using slang words can actually be something for it. It says, let your yea be yea, your nay, nay. Anything more than this is of sin. When you curse someone else, are you not cursing God? Does he not say, that child belongs to me? Whatsoever you do to someone else, you do to me, right? There are many ways that we can take and look at the spiritual side of these commandments. Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look at the spiritual reason for these commandments. Alright, let's go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And in it you shall not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that in them is, rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay. You know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we're pretty familiar with the Sabbath commandments. 
And I'd like to, for us to go and look at Matthew 24:20 and just maybe get a different perspective on this. Matthew 24. One of the reasons why I'm doing this Old Testament, New Testament, is for those that believe that the commandments of God are something that have been done away with and they're Old Testament, they're no longer binding. But I want to show you some of the verses in the New Testament where it upholds that. Matthew 24:20. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. This is Jesus speaking in the New Testament here. All right. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. And there's other verses. There's lots of other verses. But I just want to hit on a few of them. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. And if you want, you can carry this little thing around with you and add more to it, you know, or write them down in your Bible so when you're having study with somebody, you can uh, take them and show going from the... The ones in Exodus 20 and going all the way to the New Testament and showing them. Okay, Hebrews 4. I want to look at verse 4 through 10. For he spoke on a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And this place again, if ye shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Well, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Why didn't those people enter into God's rest? Unbelief. They didn't believe God. They didn't take Him at His word. When God says to do something, we need to do it. We can't justify why we don't want to do it. We either do it or we don't do it. Because if we don't do it, we're not going to enter into it. And one of the things that I find very concerning to me is that many of my brothers and sisters in the Adventist church don't really enter into the rest that God wants. They have all kinds of excuses for going out and doing things that bring them no closer to the rest that God wants them to have because God's Sabbath day is a holy day and we as God's children are to be sanctified and holy, are we not? If we're going to enter into that holy city. And part of the purpose of the Sabbath is to also remember that God is the Creator and that He said He created the heavens and the earth in six days. There are those out there who believe that God could not have done this in six days, that those days are like a thousand years or whatever. They have all kinds of excuses for not believing that God did exactly as he said he would do and has done. They make all kinds of excuses. They find it, well, I would rather do this. And which reminds me just now of a particular verse in Isaiah that I would like for you guys to go to, Isaiah 58. And let's just take a quick look at this one here. This just came to my mind. Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure... On my holy day, and call the Sabbath of delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thy own ways, 
nor finding thy own pleasures, nor speaking thy own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. You understand what he's saying here? Does it tell you something about how important the Sabbath is to God? See, God has set aside this day that you and I may become uh, partake of this special time with Him. And if you decided not to do your own pleasure, but to find your delight in the Lord, for who is going to enter into the city of God? Those who are sanctified, who find it a joy in their heart when Jesus comes, because Jesus is going to come, and He's going to take us to this most beautiful city, and if it's not a delight to you now, will it be a delight to you then? And he says here, I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob, the blessings that God wants to bestow upon us on his holy Sabbath day, if we delight ourselves in honoring God. All right. Let's go to Exodus not a whole lot of time. I'll just go to a few more of these. But let's go to Exodus 20. And let's look at verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Hail in Ephesians 6, 1. We want to go to Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee that you mayest live long on the earth. Children, this is specifically given for you and your parents. Honor your mother and your father. Be obedient to them. And God says, I will bless you with long life and prosperity. I will do these things. But it requires all the commandments, because who's the first and foremost parent? God. So, all right, let's move on to Exodus twenty thirteen. Thou shalt not kill. Romans thirteen nine. Let's look at Romans thirteen nine. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. Oops. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. There be any other commandment briefly comprehended this thing, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I mean, that verse there practically has all of them in it, doesn't it? <laughs> not kill, not steal. So, I'm not going to go through all the rest of these. I'll let you do it on your own time. And you can annotate in your Bible however you want to do it so that you will have them. Because these really are great verses. There's more, and you can add to them. Because I do want to cover some other things here. Uh, real quick, let's, let's go to Matthew. I do, want to, I, want, I do want to cover a couple things in Matthew before I move on with the rest of this. Dealing with those commandments. Matthew chapter 
5. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We know chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mountain. And it tells you, blessed are you if you do this, and blessed, blessed. You've all heard these and read them before, I'm, I'm sure of. But I do want to read at verse 17 and 18. Thank not, Jesus says, that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot, nor one tittle, shall no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. Now, Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the essence, the spiritual value of the law. And that is truly this. As the lawyer said to Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, what saith the law? The lawyer knew exactly what he was saying. He said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus says, you've answered rightly. But in that story, this lawyer wanted to justify himself. There's something that was eaten at him. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And as we know, the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. And so Jesus told the story of that Jewish man who had been set upon by robbers and left for dead and a priest comes by and walks around him and a Levite comes on. I mean, these are real substanding pillars in the church, aren't they? <laughs> and they made up excuses why they couldn't stop and do anything. Well, along comes a Samaritan who felt that it was more important to stop and take his time, even though he might be set upon by robbers, and minister to this man's need. You and I, when we see that drunkard in the ditch with vomit all over him, need to recognize that he is no different than that Jew was that that Samaritan stopped to help. No different than somebody who's out there matted and dirty and filthy and we do nothing for them. A friend of mine, my co-worker, she told me the story of, uh, um, she was working as a hairdresser and they brought somebody into the saloon where she worked that was dirty, mad, and filthy. And the first gal said, I don't want to touch him. Next one, I didn't want to touch him. So the owner said, well, I know somebody will. So she said, Lydia, will you take care of this man? And she says, yes, I will. And she takes him over there and washes his hair and she's thinking to herself, this is Jesus. And as a result of her taking care of that man, he is in the church, her church that she's at now. Because she didn't see a filthy, dirty man. She saw Jesus. And that's what we need to see when we look at these souls out there that are perishing for a lack of the knowledge of truth and the love of Christ in the heart. She says, Ellen says, I saw many do not realize what they must be in order to live in the sight of the Lord without a high priest in the sanctuary through the time of trouble. You know, we are going to have to stand one day when there will be no intercessor for us. If we have not committed our hearts and lives to Jesus, 
will have gone and be lost. Those who receive the seal of the living God and are protecting the time of trouble must reflect the image of Jesus fully. I saw that many were neglected preparations so needful and were looking for the time of refreshing the latter rain to fit them to stand in the day of the Lord and to live in his sight. Oh, how many I saw in the time of trouble without a shelter. They neglected the needful preparation. Therefore, they could not receive the refreshing that all must have to fit them to live in the sight of a holy God. Those who fail to purify their souls in obeying the whole truth will come up to the time of the falling of the plagues and see that they have needed to be hewed and squared for the building, but they will be no mediator to plead their cause. It's going to be too late, folks. Going to be left found wanting. Before this time, the awful, solemn declaration has gone forth. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And I come and I bring my rewards with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. That was Christ's declaration to you and to me. Holy, unholy. Your choice. We are today to watch that we offend not in word or in deed. We must today seek God and be determined that we will not rest satisfied without his presence. We should watch and work and pray as though this were the last day that would be granted us. How intensely earnest then would be our life. How closely we would follow Jesus in all our words and deeds. I'm going to let it stop right there, folks. Study your commandments. Know them. Have Jesus in your heart. For without Jesus, without the love of God, we're doomed. We're lost.